Autolite and its 98,000 dealers bring you Mr. M.L. Elric in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents the true story of a reign of terror, the dramatic report of the final moments of a beast, a man without conscience, a professional killer. The last days of Sean Windsor. Our star, Mr. M.L. Elric. Get your finger out of my face. Get your finger out of my face. Take the first shot, then if you want to count, Get your finger out of my face. It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now, Elric? Hey, kids, it's your old pal, M.L. Elric, investigative reporter at Fox 2 and host of M.L.'s Soul of Detroit. Today, we have a very special episode of Blossom in which we bring on a guest who's going to teach us a little bit about life and a little bit about ourselves. Of course, I'm speaking of my old partner. Some would consider him a life partner. Um, yes, Jim Schaefer of the Detroit Free Press. Jim, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And, of course, keeping this thing on track is Mark Fellhauer. Great to see you. I see you're, you're the picture of health once again. I know. That's, that's the life with kids. I told you, you can't... You can't... <laughs> that was the worst. You can't keep uh, doing all that meth. It's 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 bad for you. Maybe the that's team. what I need. Maybe that'll knock it out. Um, you know what? Actually, I wouldn't try that. But uh, but if it works for you, let hey, me what know. Do you know, you're not a doctor. Well, I played one on. I haven't even played one on TV. I don't think we have soap operas on Channel Two anymore because uh, we have Wendy Williams with the uh, with the uh, Zeppelin report every day. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jim is here as a very special guest because we're going to talk about something that he and I almost never talk about, which, which may surprise you because we're not without ego. But this week is the 10th anniversary of the Detroit Free Press being awarded the Pulitzer Prize for local reporting for the work Jim and I, and some other folks did, lots of other folks That's did, right. on, uh, on the Kwame Kilpatrick reign of error, I like to call Hell it. yeah. We're going to take you into the Wayback Machine. But first, I'm excited because we finally... Are subsidized. We are sponsored, folks. This show can't go on forever for free. And Dr. Yaldo wants to make sure that this show goes on. So he has kindly agreed to become one of the sponsors of ML Soul of Detroit. And I I have to tell you, I play a lot of sports, as you may know, none of them well. But over a decade ago, I decided to get LASIK surgery because I got sick of wearing contact. I got sick of the cysts on my eyelids. It was really actually very, very gross and very painful. And so I decided to ditch the glasses and the contacts, and not just because I wanted to see myself naked in the shower, although that <laughs> is a magnificent sight, as, uh, as no other human being can attest. Um, but I wanted to be able to see clearly, and now I have 2015 vision. Now, I'm not the only guy in Detroit who's had LASIK, and Dr. Yaldo has done more than anybody in Michigan. He has 30,000 procedures, I was going to say under his belt. I don't think it's even under his knife. It's maybe under his laser. But he's the only one in the metro area with the CAT system, which is the most advanced LASIK in the world. Most of his patients get better than 20-20 vision and never need glasses or contacts. Again, summer's on the way, so I know if you like to swim. Have you ever swum with contacts in or swam? the worst. What's the, is it swum? I think swim, it's swum. Swim, swim, swim. Either way, it's a bad idea. Don't do it. If you play ball, it does get hot in Michigan. We forget that. And the sweat gets in your eyes. Not fun. Get rid of the glasses. Get rid of the contacts. Dr. Y will make you, I was going to say cry rhymes, but he'll stop you from crying. 
So you can get sunglasses there if you just want to keep the sun out of your eyes, and they'll take care of all your vision needs. If you haven't had an eye exam, they'll help you out. It's covered by insurance. You may have a copay, but they insurance will cover your eye exam, and they'll evaluate for eye surgery. That's free at the Yaldo Eye Center. He supports all the Red Shovel shows. We appreciate that. Of course, that's No Filter Sports, the flagship Drew and Mike podcast, and the No BS News Hour. If you go see the doctor, mention ML Elric or Soul of Detroit, and you'll get up to half off your procedure. He'll half off, but he'll do both your eyes. So that's a pretty good deal. That's 1 800 398 Eyes, 1 800 398 Eyes, or you can go to the YaldoEyeCenter.com. So thanks, Dr. Y. You've made this show possible. And now we're going to take you back to a kinder, gentler, Simpler time. The sex and tech scandals making headlines once again. Yeah, and as Fox News' Amy Lang explains, the news organization that broke the story has just won the top honor in journalism. It's the story that rocked Detroit, a story that two reporters right here at the Detroit Free Press broke about a corrupt and criminal mayor. Now those reporters and this paper are being honored with the most prestigious prize in journalism. The newsroom at the Detroit Free Press erupts in cheers, elation, as reporters M.L. Elric and Jim Schaefer learn they've won the Pulitzer Prize, even hoisting their editor into the air amid the excitement. <laughs> An incredible moment for everyone at the that. Free Press. Was reporting <laughs> he almost on went the head over heels. sent a disgraced Kwame Kilpatrick and his former lover, Christine Beatty, to jail for lying under oath and costing the city millions. Nobody was joyous that the mayor had gone to jail, but at the same time, I was. we were very satisfied that the truth came out. You know, so many times politicians, uh, people in power, mislead the rest of us. And I think it's the job of a newspaper and us as journalists to go out and find out what the truth is. The more important thing was getting the story done and telling people and who's really younger. running the city and what's really going on. Still look young. But this would be a pretty close second. For Elric, it's a dream come true. The wisecracking journalist started his own newspaper when he was in fifth grade. His entire family lives in and around Detroit. His grandma called within moments of the Pulitzer being awarded to her grandson. I'm sure that uh, this is the, her favorite story in 89 years of Detroit history. So uh, uh, as proud as I am of winning this thing, um, when I think about my grandma and my grandpa, that really oh. makes me proud. And uh, I wish what my grandpa were here. A tender Jeez. moment on an emotional Cheers. day. For Schaefer, the moment still seems surreal. This is a clear-cut example of getting to the truth. And that's what we're all supposed to be doing. And it's really good when somebody recognizes that you've done it. I was glad to be a part of the team that uh, was able to pull this off. A true Herschel Fink has spent many hours on the story as well, as has the entire Free Press team. A dedicated bunch of professionals proving once again the importance of journalism during a trying time for newspapers everywhere, an uncertain time in the news business as a whole. This is a tough story, and it's still a very tough story for a lot of people. This was about standing up, however, telling the truth against a ton of odds and never stopping until it came out. In Detroit, Amy Lang, Fox 2 News. Oh, that's uh, cool, man. Yeah, it's Sean Windsor is in that. And, I saw him weasel his way into, yeah, a, into your he, shot there. He looked old the back background. then. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's a nice man. So the last guy you saw, that, and Amy Lang did a, a great job on that, on that piece, um, was Dave Hunky, the publisher of the Free Press, and... And one of the reasons we're here is not to talk about the Pulitzer and to glorify ourselves and everything like that. We did get a damn pay cut right afterwards, so it's not like it was all wine and Everybody roses. Everybody did, not just us. Everybody did, that's for sure. And we did cut that pay cut in half. They wanted 13%, those sons of bitches. But anyway, <laughs> that last guy, Dave Hunky. So we, we want to talk about some of the stories we went through on the way. And, uh, 
and Jim, I know you probably remember uh, with much, much anxiety that night before we popped the story that we started getting calls from people, Scott Lewis at Fox 2 at the time, uh, Kevin Rosebro, who's now my boss, saying, hey, um, what do you guys got? And then soon we heard Scott Lewis is working on a story about Kwame Kilpatrick. The Michigan State Police are investigating Kwame Kilpatrick for bribing the jury in the whistleblower trial, which, of course, he lost. So we're like, well, why would they bribe? And Michigan State had investigated all kinds of things, and they didn't come up. And we're like, we're trying to button up the story. Now we got to chase this damn thing. We're losing our mind. We're like, what the hell happened? It was crazy. Well, I found out later on that Dave Hunky, the publisher, as a courtesy to the leaders in the state, had contacted a bunch of people, including Governor Granholm, and said— just want to just want to give you a heads up. There's going to be a big story in the paper tomorrow that involves some very powerful people. It's pretty good hunky impersonation. Not bad. It's not bad. Um, <laughs> and so what ended up happening was the telephone game kicked in. So he kind of gave people an idea what Jim and I had. And by the time it worked all the way back to us, it was a completely different story that sounded like a story that might be better than the story we had. We're like, shit. Did we miss the big one? Yeah. I mean, we've been so locked in on this. How did we miss it? And I just remember that night when our story popped and Kilpatrick left town and and Channel 2 didn't have anything. We're just like, what a relief. And then later on, we, we put all the pieces together. Right, but, right. Let, me, let me ask you a basic question because people hear Pulitzer. They don't, I don't think they really know that it's for a period of articles that you guys wrote. In, can be. In the free press. Or is it for one? I mean, you guys won for a group of them, right, in 2008. That well, whole, you're allowed to yeah. submit 10 entries. So okay. we took our 10 bus stories and put them in there. And we actually materials. wrote hundreds that year and the year following year. Yeah. Now, you had left the free press and came back. Right. So, but you knew you had been there the whole time, right, Jim? Yep. So, why did you go back? Because I was asked to leave my pre. I was like, I was like Felix Unger. I was asked to leave by Blanche or Gladys, whoever it was. My, the, 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 uh, Channel 4, which I later found out had sold me out to the mayor, exercised the option on my contract because I was due a big bump in pay. They were going through some economic hard times. So they well, got to save money and they got, they got to get rid of a guy they brought in to do a job that they decided they no longer wanted done. And so when we talk about the Pulitzer and, and the text message and everything else, Jim invited me in on the text message. That's story. what I was going to ask. Did you know? I'm here by the uh, grace of But you knew something Jim. was there Listen, to dig we, in. We had been working on stories about the mayor for six years. It's not like uh, I pulled you in out of the blue. I mean, you invited me in. I saved your ass. But, I mean, you invited me in. I just want to give you that credit. I'm not, I'm not like, turning over the keys First to the off, shop. I'd like, I'd like to file a complaint with the, uh, with the producers of the show. I was promised we were going to be drinking Stroh's Long Necks while we're doing it. Oh, you know what? What the hell? I forgot about that. Well, you didn't tell me until 10 o'clock that you were coming at 11 o'clock. I was busy yesterday. So I didn't have time to hit the bodega. <laughs> also, uh, I do appreciate being invited on here. The green room experience sucked. Yeah. Yes, the oysters the are chewy. They're wrapped in bacon. I gave up bacon for Lent. Uh, bad news. Hey, that's not bacon. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a bris. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> Come on, man. I'll, I'll take it up with the network uh, chief. It's a real honor to be in Drew's basement. If, if Drew was here, we wouldn't get a question at Edgewise, because he is the biggest Jim Schaefer fan in the world, and we'd just be sitting here watching Drew pepper Jim. 
Drew, well, Drew you, is the man. So Channel 4 blew you up, but you had been working at stuff in City Hall, and you had been working continuously. Yeah, we've been working on a text message, not the scandal, but Kwame Kilpatrick since 2002, chasing around the Manoogian Mansion Party rumor. We don't need to get into all the details of that now, because we have a thousand times over the, mm-hmm. over the years. But um, we started working six years together before we actually nailed the text message scandal. And, and it was primarily Kilpatrick stories. And when I was an intern and Jim was a cops reporter, yeah. maybe even night cops, yeah. we would uh, we'd go drinking at the Anchor back in 2000. No, no, it would have been was, 1990. Uh, yeah. Summer of 1990. 1990. So, yep. so we've known each other a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things people don't know, and, it's, you know, I, we try not to make a big deal of poultry. I never even mention it to my students when I'm teaching. I figure if they're interested in it and they're reporters, they'll figure it out. But uh, we almost won in 2006. I think we finished fourth. They only name the three finalists, but somebody from the newspaper chain was in there at the time and said, guys, you were the last entry that they took off the table before they named the finalists. So we had been doing some pretty what groundbreaking. What story was that? Work. It was all Kilpatrick. I mean, we'd we been, had done stories about yeah. uh, the Navigator, I think, was part of Navigator, that. Navigator, uh, family charity. Yeah, and how he was spending was, uh, well, we got his expenses. You remember that? In May of that year. Second second greatest free press headline ever, Kilpatrick expenses exposed. The greatest one was uh, Mayor, Mayor Too, too wild, wild for, for D.C. D. cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had done a story <laughs> about how Washington police... Uh, refused dignitary protection for Kilpatrick uh, when he came to visit D.C. This is a thing they offer to other mayors and other special people when they come to town. We'll give you our police officers to make sure your visit here is safe and fun. But he was going to these nightclubs, and they would ask you to check your guns at the door if you were a police officer. And the D.C. cops found out about that and were livid. I mean, uh, they, they pulled their officers away from any future trips to D.C. Yeah. Uh, by Kilpatrick. And cops, cops how, how have lists of places they can't go. You know, it's like, yeah. stay away from these places because we're watching them or because if you're caught there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to damage the reputation. And these are the places when Kilpatrick went to Washington, he's like, that's where we're going. And I think they had taken him to some of them, but at some point they said, you know what, Your Honor, we're not putting our guys in that kind of danger. And even his own bodyguards were concerned about giving up their guns. And one of them was Dream. Dreams. Dreams. It's been 500 bucks in there, something like that. Really? Yeah. 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 Of the city's money or his own? No, it was. Uh, It must have been on a credit card or petty cash if we found it. Yeah. I wrote about it. Yeah. Wow. So before the Pulitzers were awarded back in those days, there was someone who was a notorious leaker on the board, and she would leak out the the list of finalists. (laughs) And, um, And she had just left like that year. So or was sick or something. So all I these think she'd been eliminated because they they yeah. figured out she was the leaker. Her, her term came up and they didn't bring her back. But so Jim and I were in New York picking up another award, and uh, I think it was the Polk Award, which is he says humbly. Yeah. Well, I mean, we picked up a lot of awards. We we could <laughs> go on. through the list, but it's only an hour long. Should have just said we were just in New York. <laughs> well, I mean, why were we in New York? But but most of my awards are in, a, in my closet. So I mean, I'm not big on the trophy stuff, but. We have some friends at the New York Times, and so we went to go for a little visit while we were in town. And as we're there, do you remember what was happening? 
Yeah, they were walking around uh, telling every member of the New York Times who had won a Pulitzer that they won a Pulitzer, and it was three days before the announcement. Yeah, they're pulling them in these little offices, and people just kind of walk out with like a shit-eating grin on their face, and they give us the thumbs up, thumbs up, and we're watching our phones to say, well, none of our bosses have called to say. <laughs> so we get invited into the budget meeting, which is the news meeting where they decide what's going to be in the paper, and the editor at the, of the New York Times at the time was a guy named Bill Keller, and he goes... He said, we have some guests. Who are the guests? And they said, M.L. Elric, Jim Schaefer. He may have said Jim Schaefer and M.L. Elric. I don't know. They were going in reverse order of, of handsomeness. And, <laughs> and they, they said, he says, great work, gentlemen, really good work. And we're both like, okay, you know, nothing's. So I'm sitting there. By now, I'm getting really hot. So I, I pulled out my phone, and I started taking notes, and I, I printed them up. And I, it, Jesus, it's you still a little, have those? It's a little file called Essay Idea, and it just says, Disappointment. Anticipation, realization, acceptance, peace, appreciation, growth, maybe reverse appreciation and peace. Without final stages, no growth. Toxicity risk. Talk to people who have suffered well-known disappointments. <laughs> Oscar Shewins, Olympic athletes, politicians. Because I was going to write an essay on how we got screwed because we didn't get the Pulitzer Prize. So did you not find out until that piece, you know, that video we just heard? That's where- right. That, yeah. That's when you actually yeah, we, you weren't tipped so off. So it's at worse. All. So we we and texting was not that big because it was still you know press A three times mm-hmm. to get what. It, so we send a, a message to our boss before we f- get on the plane from New York to Detroit, just saying, "Hey Jeff, we're at the New York Times. People are hearing all over that they're winning the Pulitzer. Have you guys heard anything? Nothing. We land nothing. And so we're like, well." Is he not telling us because he wants us to have genuine surprise? Is he not telling us because he doesn't want to break the bad news to us? Or is he, you know, whatever? We don't hear anything. Well, we find out like the day of the ceremony, the day before. I said, Jeff, what about that taste? Like, oh, I don't know. I didn't pay any attention to text. So we thought, oh, we're on pins and needles thinking that they're trying to spare us. It's just a matter of, yeah, I'm an older dude. I don't really check texts on my phone. I didn't recognize the phone number. I'm like, come on, man. Oh. And then the only hint we got was uh, minutes before the official announcement came out, um, one of the top editors told us that there was a person from our company who had some info- inside information, and one of our editors saw him in an airport or something like that. Do you remember this? I, I he don't. said, hey, what's the news? And the guy just gave him a thumbs up, which we didn't know if that meant how cryptic we won yeah, or yeah. we're finalists or, or Keep whatever. Keep your chin so we up. Really, yeah, you'll be okay. We really had no idea. In fact... They invited, I don't know if they invited her, everybody crowded around our desks but in first, the corner of the newsroom. But remember- oh, am I getting ahead of the story? Th- no, yeah. So they wanted us to be in the middle of the newsroom, standing there, waiting for the announcement, like yeah. a couple of jerks yeah. on display, and Jim's like, yeah, we're not no going to do that. So we we had this- we stayed at our desks. These corner desks, and Jim's was like a landfill. You could barely get around <laughs> it. On. And so we're sitting in the most hard place to get in the newsroom. All of a sudden, the city are on that Right. Desk. All of a sudden, people start converging on us. And and uh, and I had, I just bought uh, a liter of Jameson, and I put it on my desk, and one of the bosses is like, well, I don't know if we want that for pictures. I said, listen- if we win, we're drinking champagne. If we lose, we're drinking Jameson. But we are drinking <laughs> one way or the other. And then they let TV cameras in, and there were other reporters there. And we're like, what the AP. hell are we going to do if we don't win this thing? <sighs> it would have been just yeah. cataclysmically disappointing. I was going to jump out the window. There was a window <laughs> right behind my desk. I would have run right through it out onto the uh, sidewalk. And this was this was 10 years ago, so you know, not like it was ancient times, but... Remember the computers weren't refreshing? Oh, yeah. I mean, so they we knew the prizes were announced because, you know, they do it right on the stroke. Mm-hmm. And, and we're looking at the computer, and our names don't come up. 
And then I said, you know, like, we didn't win. Because everybody was looking over my shoulder. And they said, what? And I said, no, we won. And then I was like, yeah. And then Jim throws the, <laughs> the boss who doesn't watch his text messages damn near through the roof. You know, <laughs> I pick up a chair to get it out of the way so people can kind of move in. Because we're, we're landlocked in here. Nobody can get to us. And so it made for one of the more memorable celebrations in, uh, in at least local Pulitzer history. It was a big party that night. Now, do you ever do you ever think of the end game when you're writing the pieces? Because you know it's a good story. I mean, what's going through your head? That I'll tell you what people were uh, the day that story came out, the first text message story that we broke. There mm-hmm. were veteran reporters. I remember Bill McGraw, one of them, and Ashenfelter, Dave Ashenfelter, told us um, that smells like a Pulitzer, and I didn't want to hear that shit. I mean. Yeah. Uh, number one, it looks bad. Yeah. We didn't do those stories to win the Pulitzer, but I also didn't want to think about it. I mean, it it can overtake you if you think about it. Now, we were a little anxious at the end, but that was after all the work had been done. But just to have somebody say that made me a little, um, I don't know, scared? Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to get my hopes up. But like but, you said, you guys had been chasing Kwame from yes. the rumors. and And we knew we'd come close with the Pulitzer. Exactly. So we we had you know we had tried to we had tried to grab the rail and just missed. But remember, we had done lots of stories that, frankly, got mayors charged with crimes in other cities. Absolutely. Um, outrageous work. use of city money for expenses like spas and hotels and catering meals for your staff that were beyond the pale. Um, In a city and, that's broke and laying off yeah, cops. Yeah, right, right. And and nothing really had ever happened. I mean, Kilpatrick wrote a, a check for $9,000 out of his personal account uh, when we when we wrote a big story about his expenses. But people would move on from those stories. So well, with the text message scandal, we didn't really think – we didn't expect what happened. Is that fair to say, Mike? Because, yeah, well uh, – to, to have the prosecutor come out a month later and – Hammer him with nine, eight or nine felonies right. and, was and beyond had, anything we ever. She had ignored some easier cases yes. to make, some paper cases where it's just documents and the law says what the law says, and it's an easy conviction or a plea. But so Jim gets the text messages first. We discussed it, and 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 he he was reviewing them. And at that time, we we're hiding out in a office in in a Traveler's <laughs> Tower or something, Oakland, Oakland yeah. County. And uh, so Jim's got him, and I'm just like, I'm like, you know, I'm like high school Harry Hart on, you know, jumpity to see him. So Jim gets him and I said, well, well, and he says, take a look at him. I'm like, come on, man. He's like, just take a look at him. I read the first page. The first page is like salutations and whatever. Okay, fine. The second page is I love you, man. You're like, Ooh, that looks good. But I say, I love you to mm-hmm. Jim, which I should confess. Now he is a handsome, <laughs> handsome man. Uh, carved, carved out of cream cheese and uh, with cherry on top. And then I get to the third page and it's like straight ahead boning. And I was like, oh my God. So we talk about it. And then then I think I think I sat down and started to write like a lead. And I said, Jim, this could be the one. He's like, don't say it. <laughs> don't think it. Perjury is a huge story. It's pretty easy to understand, even though it's hard to prove. It's easy to understand for a reader. But when you add sex to it, it takes it to a different level. Do you think that played into winning the Pulitzer? I think it drew attention to the story. There's no doubt about it. Um, but there's also no shame in it. We we had heard for years that these two might have a relationship, but it really wasn't newsworthy until something happened to these police officers who yeah. were trying to uh, investigate him for other improprieties. And so, um, yeah, sex was 
totally a part of it. I mean, you still play Hugh Perkins yeah. saying, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's because of the sex. I mean, I can, uh, in fact, these, I remember Hugh, uh, LOL wasn't a thing back then. And he yeah. said, ha ha, when he read the text <laughs> messages. But, um, ha ha. There you go. Yeah. Damn nice. that. You are fast. Um, damn but, that. Yeah. Sex is a part of it, there is no doubt. But it and went novelty. so far beyond that. And I have to say, we didn't agree with everything our editors did, but I think they were very responsible with the sex part of this. We could have buried people with what was in those text messages, yeah. humiliated other people who were uninvolved. They were mentioned in them. We never published them because uh, we only wanted to publish enough to show without equivocation that there was a sexual relationship. And the so bosses, the bosses also made uh, a good call that that we were on board with right away, which was I think the first draft was you know Kwame Kilpatrick lies, he lies about this, he lies about that, he lies about this, and now he lies about fill in the blank. And they said, you know, we're going to focus on the criminality. Is there a chance that this this perjury is criminal? And it it just so happens that now to me, whether it's criminal or not, when you lie to the people, that's a big story, but. But it just so happens that Michigan is the one out of 50 states where you can be charged with perjury for lying under oath about something that is not central to the matter at hand. In other words, the whistleblower case was about whether or not they ruined the careers of these cops. Whether they had an affair or not was sort of a tangential issue, but they damn well lied about that. And so in Michigan, this is the one, case, the one state where you could bring a really strong case like that. And and so that that kind of helped us as well. And the fact that the story broke in January and the charges came later in the year and that the mayor left office by the end of the year, the Pulitzers are kind of viewed as a as a one year period. January 1st to December 31st. This whole story, even though we'd been working on it for almost a decade, the whole arc completed itself in one year by October. The mayor's resigned and is in jail. And it's really easy for contest judges to say. They did an important story. They got results. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And and there's also texts were still kind of a not really a novelty, but they were a new thing. And so the sex had always been out there, but the texts was new. And when you look at the Pulitzers this year, there were two Pulitzers awarded for massacres. There was the Parkland one that went to the paper in Florida, and then there was um, there was. Um, um, the Pittsburgh thing. Pittsburgh won oh, the, the, the Post Gazette won one for for the massacre at the synagogue. So, you know, kind of guys with guns killing people. Gun control is a big issue right now, and massacres are a big issue. So those those entries kind of have a leg up because they're they're the, the, I don't want to say the flavor of the month, but those are hot topics. You know, sex was a hot topic, but texts were kind of new. Uh, I think the only other text message story that had made headlines before that was Tiger Woods. Wife finding his text messages and hitting with the golf club, <laughs> so texts just were kind of they just weren't in the public yeah. domain so much, and and we put it out there. And this was the one story where the person who's being accused incriminated themselves with their own words. Are you guys are you surprised, Jim, that he lied under oath like that? No, I mean he lied all the time, and uh, he was very bold about it. And basically, he was fake news before Trump. I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say about Kwame Kilpatrick. Those two share the same trait in that they think that it's possible that um, nobody can impeach them. And even if they do, who cares? Right. I mean, uh, he would he would lie about every story that we asked him about or just not respond to us at all. But lying to the paper is different than lying under oath. And he 
Had a law degree. Yeah, but, you know, he's married. She was married. What's he going to say to a lawyer who he doesn't like who's questioning about an issue that he thinks he has no culpability in? Well, just reading back on some of the articles, and I read that the city had been fighting the release of those texts for years prior. So he had to have known they were out there. Oh, that's a whole other story, man. Mike uh, first foiled them in, what, 2003? 2002, 2002, right after he became mayor, like within yeah. six months, because I didn't know what the hell he was doing right. on his phone. We yeah. didn't know what text messages were. We had pages. Yeah, they were the only ones that had those things. I mean, that's why it stood out. But, um, you know, the city took the position that they weren't available to us because they were in the hands of a third-party vendor, this Sky place Trump. down in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's BS. We could, we probably could have sued and won, but we didn't. Because um, we, we didn't know what was in them. Later. Right, you know, right. Contrary to what Daniel Ferguson thinks, we did not have these before the trial, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody. Believe did. me, we'd have blown up the bridge as soon as we could. Did he say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Check out the Kwame Brothers. Why does Bro that show? even make <laughs> sick? Why does that make sense? I mean, why would we sit on because it? Because when the earth is flat, all kinds of goofy <laughs> shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys got them right after the trial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was some time after. I mean, we right haven't really after. narrowed it down. But the thing is, Kilpatrick didn't think they were ever going to come out. He thought he had sealed them up. Jim made some trips down to Jackson. Jim is one of the most persuasive dudes you're ever going to meet, which is why he's not still single, because he doesn't bring a lot to the party. But he can talk <laughs> people in all kinds of situations. And he couldn't get I don't even them. know what that means. Well, play it back. It's pretty good stuff. But um, play it slowly. But the uh, he's got some good pipes too, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Got, we should be a booth announcer or something if they still have those. Like uh, your twenty five minutes is up. The next dancer is in. But it's a it's a living. But um, and I'm off track. But yeah, we right. couldn't get him, and uh, and we'd pretty much kind of given up. And um, and we're not going to talk anymore about that. But Kilpatrick pretty much figured. He had gotten away with it. And and one of the things, I think he looked forward to testifying because I think in his own mind, he was tortured by the Manoogian Mansion rumor. And I think he felt that if I got on the witness stand and I swore to God that it didn't happen, I am a lawyer. I do know the law. People in Detroit would say, well, a lawyer who knows the law, who believes in God, who swears not to tell a lie, would not tell a lie. So I'm going to put a stake in this thing once and for all. And it was the way that whole thing tortured him that undid yeah, him. He didn't just deny it. He went on a, a speech, you know, about oh, how uh, it's offensive to to assume that every woman who uh, is successful in a workplace is sleeping with her boss. Mm-hmm. My mother's a congresswoman. My aunt was a state legislator. People in positions of power always think, or, or women who attain uh, positions of power are always looked at with a side eye. I mean, he made a huge point about that. And it was a beautiful speech. Based on a lie. <laughs> and the jury didn't buy it. I mean, we, yeah. we left a testimony uh, that day feeling like, well, Kilpatrick, you know, he's a masterful orator. Yeah. He's just, he just blew this case well. up. Yeah. <laughs> the jury came back in like an hour and they said, and we got to talk to one or two of the jurors and they just said, we just figured, you know, politicians talk good. That's all he did. It was more politician yeah. And we locked, we, we rang him up for $8 million or $7 million or whatever it was. Yeah, so. it was six, and then it, yeah, with, with interest, the interest it in, yeah. 8.4. In the 10 years since, uh, how many Pulitzers has the free press won or come close to? One. One. Stephen Henderson won for uh, editorial page commentary. Uh, so it doesn't years. happen every year. Writing about in the fact, bankruptcy that Kilpatrick brought on. So. Yeah, right, right. The 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 Pulitzer that we won, and uh, sounds like I'm bragging, 
uh, which I don't like to do but you should. normally. But it's yeah. a big, was the it's first a big, reporting. You guys won't say it, but it's a yeah, big Midwestern deal. guys talking about winning awards. It's gonna go. It's not gonna go very far. It was the. It was the. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it was the first reporting Pulitzer that the Free Press had won since coverage of the riot. Yeah, sixty-eight. Yeah, they won in sixty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's was, a big deal. Forty years. That was wow. pretty cool. We did win a couple photography Pulitzers in the, in the yes. meantime. Yeah, and and the the Free Press for a long time was known as a, a photo paper. And yeah. while other newspapers across the country have been getting rid of their photo staffs, the Free Press continues to have not just one of the the best visual presentations in the country and one of the most talented photography staffs. They've grown out and they put on this Free Film Festival, which just happened last weekend. You know, the free press has been a great paper for a long time. It's still a great paper. I subscribe. I don't always agree with it, but I always give them my money. I encourage you to do the same thing because you've heard me say it on this show before, if we don't support these these news organizations, we can't complain about them, and everybody likes to complain, damn it. It's sort of like if you didn't vote, don't say anything to me about how the country's run. You've got to support the institutions and the entities that you demand quality from. You are responsible. So come on. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. I, I figured I probably owe you a sponsor. Guys, I probably owe you guys one for. I'll give you a rate card. Past on your week way or so. out. But uh, Jim, I don't ask this because I work at Fox Two and I'm very competitive. But what's the next big story you guys are doing? A Jennifer Dixon piece, okay. which you can bet is uh, very well researched and reported. Um, it involves the death of a, uh, a worker at Little Caesars Arena. Oh, I, I oh, think wow. I've heard about this story. So. Folks, this is a classic example of everybody moves on from a story and then the reporters go back and they get to the truth. Even when it's been verified, certified, uh, homogenized that what happened was cool, looks like they found out that it wasn't. So you can find that at Freep.com. But better yet, put a dollar in the box at the store and get the hard copy. That's what really keeps this going. So, And Jennifer played a big role in our Pulitzer investigation and our coverage in trying to... uh, trying to connect the dots in the text messages that showed the criminality, the Bobby Ferguson role in all this, which ended up being a major part of the federal criminal case against Kilpatrick. And, and one of the things I was always gratified when we were done doing these stories, we would read the indictments and we'd be, we, so we kind of won a Pulitzer Prize for plagiarism. You know, we took the mayor's words and put them <laughs> in the paper and we got an award. Well, the feds won convictions for plagiarism because they took our stories and they cut and pasted and they put them in the indictments. They did and they do sent, a little extra work. They sent kill. Well, they also had subpoenas. <laughs> yeah, they right, have a little right. more power. But you know, we thought nobody make was it paying, happen. We thought nobody was paying attention to us all those years, and then that stuff ended up in the indictment. It was pretty uh, gratifying to see somebody take our work and verify it independently. And did you guys ever have a big fight over one story, what to put in or not put in together? We fought all the time. Yeah, but I don't think we ever fought over content. I mean, we ended up agreeing eventually, but yeah. uh, no, everything we did was a, a real interesting collaboration. I mean, uh, he's, Mike is the best partner I've ever worked with in journalism, uh, mainly because You're make he, him cry he compliments the things that I'm not good at and uh, journalism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had different sources. You know, I was a criminal justice guy and he was uh, uh had had his hand in politics locally and in, around the state of michigan and things just came together i mean it was a uh but there was never one thing you're like we need to follow this road and the other one was like no there's nothing there well, there was one one time when we interviewed and I, I i hesitate to say interviewed because we didn't put him on the record but we were on 
Lou Beatty's porch. That's Christine Beatty's cuckolded husband. And we said, you know, really sorry to bother. He was an auto worker, so he was home during the day. I think he's third shift. And he comes to the door kind of tired and... And we're like, hey, really sorry to bother you. I mean, you know who we are, you know, we've been yeah. working on, you know, and just wondering, you know, is there anything you'd like to say? I mean, we were kind of a little soft in terms of putting it to him and saying, is your wife kicking with the mayor and does yeah. that piss you off? But but everybody knew what we were talking about. And he just like, you know, thanks. No, I don't really wish to comment at that time. And uh, And we leave the porch and I said to Jim, what'd you think? And Jim's like, he doesn't know. And I'm walking, I say, oh, he absolutely knows. And I don't, I, I, to this day, I don't know whether he, he knew at that time, yeah. whether or not he was, you know, and this was, this was before the text message came out or anything like that. But um, that was one thing where we had a different take on it. But people think that disagreement is bad. The strength of Jim and I working together, and I think of, of good collaborations, and my partner, John Brzezowski, here is from Fox. We, we have difference of a, opinions, too, and we ask each other what we think about this. That's important because if you're not challenging each other, you're 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 laying yourself open to somebody who's thought of something you didn't think of challenging you, and you might not have an answer. Yeah. We work twice as hard to destroy our stories as we did to prove them, and no one's been able to destroy them. So I think we did a pretty good job. So you don't want to be sitting there saying, "Oh, Jeb, that's so good. I love that tie, Jeb. Your <laughs> eyes are so gray." No, it should be. Dude, that's a great story, but I think you're going too far. Pull me back, and if I can convince you, we'll go where I want to go. It's a scientific method. You're constantly trying to disprove something, and if you can't disprove it, it's either true or somebody's going to surprise the hell out of you later, and you'll be very sorry. And we had some scary moments along the way. I remember, remember we uh, pulled us. Our editor had done a, had gone through the story and done what she needed to do, and it was probably 9.30, 10.30 at night, and we realized we made a mistake, right? This was a different story. Though. I know. Was it was a different story, related, but it was, but one of our it was first part of our yeah. collaborations together. Yeah. And it actually cemented uh, our ability to work together, I think, because we almost made a huge error, uh, but we caught it. And we took um, responsibility. In fact, we did some things we're probably not supposed to do, which is we went in and just changed the damn story <laughs> at the last second without telling anybody and made it right. And I think having almost made that big mistake, um, weirdly, uh, made us have confidence in each other. Well, do you remember what I said to you when uh, when we caught – and, and the, by the way, folks, the story was completely accurate. Everything we had, we would have been safe to go with. We just had a question about where the document came from. Right. We knew the document was real, but we didn't know where it came from. We thought we did, and we started asking people. We're like, oh, crap. And and we didn't want somebody to say, well, who gave you that? And we'd have to say, well, it came from this person. And they'd say, well, he, where did he get it from? Yeah. We'd have to say, we're not sure. So I was still fairly new at the paper, and I said to Jim – Jim, we got to find a way to fix this because if this thing goes wrong, you'll survive, but they'll walk me out of the building. Because, yeah, I remember that exact conversation. Because Jim left during the strike, went to Channel 7, won some Emmys at Channel 7, came back. When he came back, it was like uh, the emperor was returning. There was a buzz in the newsroom. They were so excited that Jim was coming back. I'm the obituary writer, you know, so and I'm not that far removed from it. So if we got something wrong... Jim gets a kick in the head. He's doing night cops for another couple months. I'm delivering papers yeah. if I'm lucky. So we we made some calls. We we shored some stuff up. We were good to go. And we did the thing that good and smart reporters do. We went with what we knew we had. And we didn't say, the other stuff is probably okay. Let's let's try it. 
Jim, thanks for coming in. Hey, uh, you taught me many years ago to do this, so I'm doing it. That's right. Pimping. You want to follow me on Twitter? <laughs> right. hey, get in there. Go. Get at, in there. At Detroit Reporter. Uh, let's see how many people actually listen to the show. I and what about Facebook? Uh, yeah, I'm all over Facebook. Wolverine suck biggest. at Facebook. Is that your <laughs> Jim's a buck guy here, folks? I am. Go Bucks. I uh, probably just pissed off half your, probably three quarters of your listenership. Well, that's but, that's uh, three people. Sorry about that. I'm from there, which is good. You wouldn't want to be a dick and be from Michigan and root for Ohio State. Right. right? Yeah. Yes. No, he made I the mean, right call. He's yeah. from Ohio and he moved I'm to Michigan. Loyal. That's right, it. Right. And we'd love to have you back uh, talking about some other stuff. And uh, I promise next time, Ears. unlike Kwame Kilpatrick, the beers really will be on me. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in. And I'll never change. Very nerd. Very so. Very nerd. Very so. Very nerd infinity. Very so infinity plus one. No. Joining us for our great debate is my friend and sometimes rival. And sometimes he just admits that, you know what, Elric? You got it. You nailed it. He never seems to do that when we're rolling tape. But it's Sean Windsor of the Detroit Free Press, columnist extraordinaire. Sean, uh, where are you today? Are you Milwaukee? Are you Minnesota? Are you... Um, being processed on your way out of the detention center. Where are we catching you? Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor? I know that's your favorite place. I love Ann Arbor. I love deli sandwiches that cost more than my Social Security check. Oh, yeah, that's the only place. That's it. Where they're that expensive. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> You're not on the side of the road. I heard you had tire trouble. I did, you know, um, and I was waiting for Mike to come change it. And he said he would, but I guess he doesn't know how to change a tire. So. Well, I, I knew you'd be able to inflate them yourselves, given some of your skills. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Ann Arbor is kind of uh, a very topical place to be. It's very appropriate uh, for once because it involves basketball players who are abandoning the institution that they claim to love. And I think it's outrageous. You, you don't Walking see it as birds leaving the nest? I see Poole, I see Iggy saying, if I stay here, I could be a part of something special that I'll always have my entire life, and I'll be a champion, or I can be a champion if I stay and do these things that I say in post-game interviews are so important to me. It's about the team, it's about the togetherness, it's about the program. If you were a journalist the- working at the Michigan Daily and you had the opportunity to go write for the Times or the Post and make money on it, would you do it? Or would you stay for the experience of writing at the Daily? Well, of course, you forget that if I was writing at the Daily, I would not be getting a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 education for free, free clothes, free food, free tutoring, free coaching, free conditioning, free everything. Well, they, get, they get some coaching and uh, mentoring. and. But I, I had a chance to leave the Free Press for the Chicago Tribune after Jim and I won the Pulitzer, and the Free Press won the Pulitzer, and I decided to stay. So I guess I would say I stayed because what's important to me, and I've had lots of opportunities to leave the Free Press or Detroit, uh, is because, and the only reason I left the Free Press is I couldn't do what I do because they kind of chickened out, is I'm here because this place matters to me, because the work is important to me, and my goal is to make a difference someplace that I love. I'm just confused, Mike. You said you wanted to, or you chose not to go to Chicago, but then you left anyway. So you're you're contradicting yourself. Is that no, if, right. if, uh, if, if Beeline told uh, Poole and Iggy that they couldn't play basketball anymore, then I would, I, would, I would let them be the birds that fly free in the blue skies. But oh, I've stayed I in see. Detroit. So My commitment are. is to the institution of Detroit. So you think it's wrong for players to leave early? 
No, I, I don't think it's wrong for them to leave early if there's an economic reason, if there's a hardship reason, or maybe they're the best player on a team that's not going anywhere and is very acrimonious or the coach was a rat or they somehow got put on probation or something. But Michigan has an opportunity to do something really special. We've seen the preseason polls. Michigan State and Michigan can make this state the college basketball Valhalla. We can be better than the state of North Carolina. We can be better than the state of Kentucky, which are considered basketball paradises, because we have two outstanding programs, two outstanding coaches, 11 outstanding players at Michigan State, and some pretty good ones at Michigan. And I just want to see this rivalry. Every I, I said earlier this year in one of our great debates that Michigan had Michigan State had ended Michigan's bid for dominance in the state of Michigan, I meant on sort of a conceptual level, but if these guys go pro, absolutely on every level, the Michigan reign of basketball supremacy is over, 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 done. Ciao, bye-bye, see you, Iggy, get a good haircut, beat it, pooley, you look like a foolie. So it's all self out of school this part. Did I hear the word selfish? Because that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Just for your, for your own entertainment, for your own enjoyment, you don't want these kids to young men, excuse me, to follow their dream. If their dream was to be in the NBA, like your dream was to be, you know, in front of a camera screaming at people on a revolving door, their dream <laughs> is to be in the NBA, right? You cut me deep, you got, follow, you got to follow yours. So you cut me deep. Uh, no, my, my dream when I went to Michigan State was to work for a newspaper someday. Guess what? I did the four years, five years, that it took to realize that dream. These guys can still play in the NBA two years from now, three years from now. And in fact, but it, they may be better suited to succeed in the NBA. it also cuts down their prime. Well, I mean, it does. When, and, you get, and, when you're getting paid millions a year, you know. Who's going to train you? Let's let's say they sit on the bench in the NBA for the first two years. Uh, as they will if they go early. Okay. So who prepares them better for the NBA, the NBA or college? You will hear coaches say we need players to play. That's why players get sent to the minors in leagues that, that have a proper development yeah. system because we need well, The NBA has reps. that. Well, now they do, kind of. How many guys? How many guys league? go from the G League to the show? It's very few, but I mean, at least they're playing. They can do it. But how many guys who get drafted in the first couple rounds because they did their job and were great college players and maybe won a championship? Winning a champ—that's the thing. This is the this is a difference maker in this debate. The opportunity to win a championship is huge. You do not get that chance, and if you're drafted highly enough. You go to a team that has no chance to win a championship. So I say you need to stay to give yourself that opportunity to have a special thing that you'll have for the rest of your life. Money comes and goes. Rings stay until you hawk them. But you missed out on a Pulitzer in 2006 and you left. You didn't stay to win the Pulitzer. You had to come back to win it. I left because Beeline wouldn't let me play basketball <laughs> anymore. The free press did not want me to cover okay. the mayor of Detroit anymore. And so I went someplace where I could continue to play basketball. I think I think when, and when then somebody's I got cut ready, from that team. <laughs> when somebody's ready, they should be able to go. Right? And then I dunked on them. <laughs> Boy, that wound like cut, McQuaid. That Channel Four wound cuts <laughs> deep in him, Sean. <sighs> I mean, it's like him pretending he lives in Detroit. You know, it's the same kind of. It's all about the identity. The only and, one, and I understand that we all have it. Hey, it's brother, the only one that I'll, cuts deeper. I'll send you my tax bill and my insurance bill. Those are Detroit prices because it is Detroit, brother. It ain't Ann Arbor. Uh, Nobody has chai tea on my block. Really? 
Okay, I Teresa don't. does. But nobody <laughs> else has chai <laughs> tea on my block. Sean, uh, what's what's the word on these three guys? I've heard that uh, Poole, Matthew's definitely gone. Iggy's up in the air. What what have you heard? Well, I think, um, I mean, they're obviously going to go try to get the feedback and see what they say. I think Iggy will get drafted. Or should we say Brasdikas? He's a, I mean, he's a 20-year-old freshman, and he's got an NBA body, and I think um, I think he's probably ready. Matthews, you know, he came back last year, mm-hmm. obviously, and um, to try to develop a little bit more, I think hopefully he, he's thinking his defense, his defensibility on the perimeter will find him a place in the league, and he might be right. Poole is the question mark to me because he would obviously, I, I think, would be better served maybe. One more year with one more year under beeline before he goes. Amen. But he, but he wants to go to the NBA. So, I mean, who are we to say don't go? How much of it is he wants to go to the NBA versus he's a little bit disenfranchised with Michigan fans and the coach? I don't know about the fans as much. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't like the – I mean, sure, he hears the noise of him not reaching his potential and him trying to figure out, um, you know, what a good shot is. He certainly hears that part of it from the coach. But Beeline has a pretty good track record of, of developing guys. And well, as as the prostitute asks for her phone back, we're starting to get a little breakup on the signal. We're going to leave Sean Debate there, uh, Sean Windsor there. Um, here's hoping that they all come back to college and that we can keep this rivalry going and that next year Michigan and Michigan State will play for the national championship. It could happen, folks. And that's your great debate. Oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is- him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? When I was in eighth grade, we had a teacher named Ms. Winsky, or maybe it was Mrs. Winsky. I still think about her to this day. Yeah. And I I feel urgings, longings. <laughs> what is it about her? She was beautiful. and Love you. She made me want to be in class. Now a teacher who made a lot of kids want to be in class has been fired. And the people who made this injustice happen are our geek of the week. Mark, what happened and, and, and why? Laura Miranda is a seventh grade <laughs> math teacher, a female math teacher, which, you know, we could all use more female math teachers. I would sure think. STEM. Uh, exactly. And she's in the South country central school district of New York. She got called into the office and they said, do you like to take pictures? She said, what do you mean? And the, I believe it was the principal, turned the monitor around to her, and there she was topless. And what had happened was it was a topless photo she had sent to her boyfriend at the time, who, interestingly enough, works for the same school district and is Hello, a teacher. conspiracy. And a student got a hold of it. How the student got a hold of it <sighs> is another question. But their decision was not to reprimand the boyfriend who the picture was sent to or the student, but it was to fire her. And there's plenty of reasons to fire people, but taking a topless selfie, not a full nude, but just a topless selfie um, that was not meant for public consumption should not be a reason to get fired. And yet it has become a battle. She is now suing the school district for $3 million. Wow. I don't know that she's ever going to make $3 million. I don't know that the damages would amount to that because typically in a lawsuit, you have to pay out whatever someone would earn if you hadn't wronged them. But I can see it being difficult oh, to be in that school. There's public humiliation, though. Yes, there's that, too. But I can see it being difficult to teach in that school with all the kids passing that picture around, but that should be her decision to make. I mean, she did nothing wrong, and I guess, you know, depending on 
you know, I find how, her, how you are, feel are, about your relationships. Maybe she did something real nice for a boyfriend. <laughs> well, what is the penalty for him? Can they prove that he's the one who who leaked it? Certainly seems that uh, likely. Might be difficult, but if she says that's the only person she sent it to, right? You know, I don't know who owns who has ownership over the photo at that point. She, she wasn't hacked. It. This is not a she Justin not and uh, and uh, it's not a fappening situation. Yes. I don't think it would be anyways. Because once again, just the top. She's just in a changing Kate. room. Yeah. But now you're running her off for this. Her argument. Now this is where it gets weird. Is she's saying if I was a man, I wouldn't be fired. Which now you're pitting genders against genders as opposed to look, it's just wrong. I'm assuming she means wrong. A, a bottomless man wouldn't be fired, or is she saying she the man without a, his shirt? She means on? a man without a shirt. Well, I don't think that's even in dispute, right? I mean that. that no, but that's the crux of her argument, right. not not just legally but publicly. And it's like, oh, now you're now you're going to get the men riled up because you're bringing them into it. Everybody agrees it's wrong. It shouldn't be. It's a good looking picture too. Right. I was going to say for for journalistic reasons, we we reviewed the photo, and I will say that it is it is pleasing to the eye. It is modest, and it's it's a lot. Uh, the Jennifer Lawrence pictures were a lot worse. I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah. And just, she's not getting fired. She's getting hired. Amen. So, school administrators coming down hard on somebody who's maybe making some kids hard. You're our geek of the week. So I was working in the yard the other day, and I noticed darling buds pushing up (laughs) through the earth. And the darling buds is a big English show, the darling buds of May. And I know it's April, but it's kind of May-like. And when I think of the darling buds of May, I don't think of the English show because I've never watched it, but I think of the darling buds, the band, who took their name from the show, the darling buds of May, and the lead singer... She's darling. So here are the darling buds with It Makes No Difference. Another female lead in room 7609. Yes. Oh, I, I, might, I might have a thing going here. <laughs> I would say you do.
who rock and not only that how often do you get to play a band from wales oh i couldn't even well, well tom jones oh but he's not a band true you know and i'm thinking for our 10th show i would like to do a synopsis of every show we've done as defined by one tom jones song but that's that's a lot of work so i'm gonna i'm gonna i love tom jones oh, he's the best you ever seen him live I have. He's a showman. Freedom Hill. He's great, especially now that his hair's white and it's all <laughs> kinky and he's, you know. As long as he's not marinated beforehand. Oh, no, he's he's terrific. It was, uh, and he had an album that came out maybe 10 years ago now called 24 Hours, where there are at least three bona fide kick-ass tunes on there. I wouldn't call him a new wave artist. The Darling Buds most definitely are. And, you know, I love, I love that dirty guitar. Yeah. I love that sort of like, sort of like with the Transvision Vamp, that sort of guttural chorus. Uh, I mean, oh man. I, I heard Blondie in there, which I mean, maybe that's too simple because no. it's a woman leading a rock band. Uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a little more garbage. garbage. How many times you get to have a new wave band from Glasgow? That's garbage. You know, we're yeah. we're we're going to the uh, the hinterlands of the United Kingdom. Although I will say, Darling Buds, that, that's almost leaving new wave land into uh, alternative. Uh, there's a blur. There's a blur. It's very it's much a, it's so. A, it's a big category. Not to be confused with the band. Blur. Yes, which I would also say is borderline new wave. Oh, that's Britpop and James and oh, another great band. I know the only band out of Manchester that Morrissey likes. Well, I'm, I'm surprised he likes them. Well, like anything by likes, he doesn't hate them. <laughs> it doesn't depress him. He hasn't slagged them off in the new Musical Express, so that's that's Ma's love for you. And we have mad love for you. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of ML Soul of Detroit. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Send us an email at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. Give us a call, 313-288-9070. That's 313 313- 
Butterfield 89070 for the, the cool guys. You've been listening to the Red Shovel Network. Dr. Yellow, thanks for supporting us. Please support all of our shows. Cyrus, take us out. Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Suspense. Suspense is transcribed and directed by Mark Fellhauer. With music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Last Days of Sean Windsor. Adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. In tonight's story, Kathy Lewis was heard as Anna and Michael Ann Barrett as Molly. M.L. Elric appeared through the courtesy of Fox. Two News. Producers of the picture Three Coins in the Fountain in Cinemascope and Technicolor. And remember, next week, Mr. Charles Lawton in The Revenge of Captain Bly. This is the Red Shovel Network.